0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that generates biography using musical memories. We leverage the way sonic experiences become buried in our brains to bring out our guests' personalities and personal histories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Laura Ellis. Laura is director of podcasts and special projects at Louisville Public Media, or WFPL. Born and raised in Louisville, Laura has been with WFPL since 2004. She's a Peabody Award winning producer who started started her career in public radio as a talk show assistant. In her role as director of podcasts and special projects, Laura manages a podcast incubator designed to amplify important and diverse voices and stories in Louisville. Her bio says when she's not making radio, she's on stage or in a sound booth making theater or singing old-fashioned music. I met Laura at a public radio conference in Seattle last year and knew we were going to have to get her into the Three Song Stories chair. Hello, Laura. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I am doing very well. Thank you for doing this. It was nice to meet you briefly there in Seattle, and uh, we've been hoping for this day for all this time, so I'm glad it's finally here. Me too. Um, When was the last time somebody interviewed you?
0: Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Let's see. It was probably in late 2020, maybe early 2021. We launched a podcast incubator and I did a tiny bit of press about it, like morning show type of stuff. But um it is very atypical for me to be on this side of the interview.
1: Um I had to be interviewed during Hurricane Ian by one of the California NPR stations. And I felt like I I didn't know I after I got done, I was like, what did I just say? You know, (laughs) I get to talk to I get to ask people questions all the time. But being asked questions after I got done, I felt like I'd lost my mind.
0: Sure. And like when we ask questions, we have all of our notes and we have our research and we know how it's going to go and where we want it to go. And on the other side, we're just like (laughs) it's like you open your mouth and something comes out and you hope it's okay.
1: Absolutely. So have you listened to any music so far today?
0: So far today, I have not listened to any music yet, unless you call it the theme song for a talk show. I worked on a talk show this morning. It's got a little jazzy theme song that was written by one of our staffers here at Louisville Public Media.
1: Is that a, a typical day without music, or is this an outlier?
0: This is an outlier. Friday is the only day that I don't work from home. And so what that means is that Friday morning is like a mad dash of like remembering how to be a person out in the world and put on something that's not pajamas and stuff. Um, so Friday mornings are a little hectic. and um, Most of the rest of the time, I probably have music going unless I'm editing audio.
1: Understood. So how would you describe the musical background of your childhood there in Louisville?
0: Uh, I grew up with a lot of music. Um, I feel like music was always in my house um and around me and this is like this is like the quirk of my childhood I think um my parents were mildly obsessed with Jesus Christ superstar the rock opera and <laughs> particularly the movie version and um we listened to that thing oh my gosh if we weren't watching the movie because we had like an old worn out VHS of it we were listening to the eight track and then later the cassette so it was very much like uh our kind of like our a churchy experience (laughs) I don't want to say it was our church but like it was almost as constant as our church and for some reason like my extended family (laughs) this whole like group of weirdos was really uh really into this Andrew Lloyd Webber, rock opera. So I heard a lot of that. I heard a lot of what is now referred to as yacht rock um, because that's my era when I was a kid. And um, my mom loved Simon and Garfunkel. My mom also loved um, Barry Manilow, the Moody Blues, Elton John. Um, she kind of had a thing for rock that had piano in it. So those were kind of the soundtracky stuff of my childhood.
1: Okay. Did you happen to hear the Terry Gross interview with Kenny uh, Loggins, where they talked a little bit about yacht rock?
0: Oh, uh, yes, yes. And you're making <laughs> me want to listen to it again. <laughs>
1: um, what is your earliest musical memory? Like, if I, if you try to just flash back to something that might have crystallized, that isn't maybe Jesus Christ Superstar. What might it be? Ooh.
0: Um, well, we had an old beat-up piano in our house. And it was like one of my mom's regrets, I think, that she stopped taking piano. Like, I think her mom had put her in piano lessons. And she was a typical kid and was like, "Ooh, I hate this and quit. And I think that she kind of took, she kind of tried to uh, repair that choice with my childhood. So we had an old, white, upright piano that was like a discard from some church. And I remember it had red velvet cutouts on the, on the upright part where you'd put your sheet music. It was hideous. If I saw it today, I would crack up laughing. Um, but it sat in our back room, and I tinkered with it. And I did end up taking lessons, but um, I have this early memory of, and you're, you're probably going to know who sings this, and I don't. There was a song called Captain of, Captain of Her Heart or Captain of the Heart. And it was like, mm. too long ago, too long apart. Couldn't wait another day for the, the captain of her heart.
1: Is it a song by The Double?
0: The Double? I don't know. It might be. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. Um, and when did that come out? I can't tell. Uh, 85. 1985. Okay. Yeah, so that's the right timeline. So it has a piano line like a little piano riff that recurs. And it's like, doo, 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 do, 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 And I picked it out on the piano when I was like a little tiny kid. And my mom, you would have thought that I had just, like, cured cancer. <laughs> she was, like, so impressed. And she was like, my baby is a prodigy. She called people. She made me play it on the phone. And it's just so ridiculous when I look back on it now. But it clearly... Made an impression on me, and you know I did become a musician, and I don't know it's like one of those early formative things I haven't even thought about it in forever until you asked me that question. but it was like, oh look, if you figure out how to play stuff, people will like think you're great,
1: yeah, <laughs> did you play any other instruments besides piano when you were younger?
0: Um, I got a guitar when I was i want to say like thirteen. Um, and I, I picked up, that's when I picked that up. Um, so pretty much those two things, I would say when I got older, I started, you know, playing around with different instruments and I picked up a little accordion, a little mandolin, a little banjo, like just enough to tinker and maybe follow along with simple stuff. Like I'm sort of a Jill of all trades, master of none when it comes to instrumentalists.
1: But you're a singer.
0: I'm mainly a singer these days. Yeah.
1: OK, well, we'll get more to that later. Um, before we go to your first song, um, if you could learn one instant, uh, if you can learn one instrument instantly and be totally prof- proficient at it, what would it be?
0: Oh, man, I think I have to say fiddle. That is one thing that I've never really messed around with. And it's so light and it's so portable and it's like just so easy to sit in on a jam or, you know, like a bluegrass jam and kind of take a take a turn on the fiddle.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Um, Okay, well, let's do this first song of yours, this Jim Croce song. How do you want to proceed?
0: Um, Okay, let me tell the story first, I think. Um, This is also in the same, like, childhood, teenage era. So this fits right in with what we've been talking about. So um, I want to say I was probably 15. I have one little brother. He would have been 10. And my family was gonna go on a road trip. This is like a classic American story, right um, but we had the worst car <laughs> we had we had very little money at this point in my childhood. Um, we were sort of just getting by by the seat of our pants and my mom's car was this little red Renault I think is how you say it um and sort of if you can imagine like stereotypical everything is covered in in rust um things might work or they might not you might have to like jimmy a screwdriver into the drive shaft to get the turn signal to come on you know you might have holes in the floor where you see the road beneath you
1: but your mom drove a renault alliance oh, is that like, <laughs> God. These are so great. Sorry, they're cool little cars. It was one, that, and you can see the it had an extra hole in it through the floor.
0: <laughs> it was not good, y'all. I'm telling you. I cannot believe she even would attempt to take this thing on a road trip, but that's how my mom was. She was like, We're going to have this experience. And it's a once in a lifetime thing. Um, I'm sure in her mind, you know, looking back now, I'm sure she was like, Well, my kids are getting older, and. Um, We should have this experience while we can. And so some family member, my stepdad, lived in Pennsylvania, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and they were doing a wedding bout renewal. And so this was enough to be like, okay, we're going to make this happen. We're going to get four people in this Renault on a wing and a prayer and um, drive to Washington, D.C., which we had never seen before. We're going to go to Hershey, Pennsylvania and see all the chocolate stuff. And then we were going to go to Carlisle, Pennsylvania for this family thing and then drive home. I probably don't have to tell y'all that this car did not have a radio. Wow. <laughs> it did not have a radio. And that was like the least of our worries. Um, so my brother and I had this little boom box <laughs> that we had in the backseat with us <laughs> for this entire road trip. And we had a little shoe box of cassette tapes and one of them was jim Croce. and the first song on side a of this cassette was i got a name which just so happens to be the perfect song for a road trip so um and maybe in like a little obnoxious uh like mischievous teenager prankster but i don't think i've grown out of it but like it was worse then um I started to play this song every time we would stop and restart the road trip. And I wanted to see like how long it would take for anybody else to notice that we were hearing this song over and over again. Um, So every time we stopped for gas, every time we would stop to pee, I would rewind this cassette and like start the cassette over at the beginning. Um, and I did this way past the point of obnoxiousness. Um, and they did... It, it like went through these phases where it was like, okay, this is really not funny anymore. This is really annoying. And then gradually like, okay, this is kind of funny again. <laughs> <laughs> and it like came full circle. So I just, every time I make a road trip playlist, every time I have to like do any kind of sound design for a road trip, a uh, themed thing, this song is always going to be on there. Cause it just says to me, road trip. This was the last road trip that we took as a family. So It really, like, it really takes me back.
1: And it's like a little peek into your future as a radio producer because you were then creating a scene with sound amongst (laughs) your family in your crappy little car.
0: I was already attempting to do bad comedy sound design.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, let's listen to it. Uh, What color was this Renault?
0: It was red. Well, it was supposed to be red. It was very faded, Yeah.
1: Okay, well, let's listen to this. This is Laura Ellis' first song today on Three Song Stories. This is I Got a Name by Jim Croce from the 1973 album of the same name.
2: I don't know. I mean,
0: I can't hear that song and be in a bad mood. You can't see me, but I'm like, I'm swaying, I'm singing. I don't know. That song is very, like, it's very evocative to me of freedom. And I love to drive and I love road trips. And so it just makes me feel like, you know, maybe I did some like brain conditioning on myself on that road trip, because when I hear that song, I feel like it is the beginning of something. It's like a start and, it, and there's like possibility.
1: Absolutely. You know, and we could hear you singing a little bit. in oh, the can back. you? And the beautiful thing is, is, you know, since we're on this remote connection and I mentioned there's that little bit of a lag, it was almost like you were singing the backbeat, like you would come in <laughs> a bit after in an actually quite pleasant way.
0: I sort of forgot you could hear me because I turned my own mic off. So I was like, oh, God, they can't hear me. I'm going to sing. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, we could hear you. Um, so, um, hey, real fast, you know, um, Laura, for for the cool price of about $1,500, you could pick yourself up your mom's car. Oh, my God. <laughs> <around>. <laughs> One of those things. Oh, you might have to pay another 50 bucks for a radio. I definitely
0: have to pay for a tow because I'm sure it wouldn't be running.
1: I don't know if any run... (laughs)
0: oh my Presumably
1: gosh you're the rest of your family if they hear that song to this day they would be reminded of that i mean it sounded like you really drilled it into their brains too.
0: oh you know what the only other one of us who's still around is my brother and i should have asked him before we had this conversation if he remembers this because he was like five years younger than me but i have a feeling he does just,
1: you should just call and leave a voicemail for him that's just this song and see <laughs> how <it works.
0: laughs> he might get in the car and just start driving
1: <laughs> um, okay, so well, what was the first band or musician uh, that really I love got that your attention? that song so much. You know, and about how <laughs> old would you have been?
0: Hmm. Well, I, so, I, I have, like, very dim memories of listening to a Kenny Rogers record over and over and over again. I had a little, like, baby record player. Um and I listened to Kenny Rogers over and over again. I listened to Neil Diamond over and over again. <laughs> um, and so I remember, I remember loving those. And um, those are also artists that I was taken to see in concert when I was, like, way little. Like, probably five or six. Like, baby me. Um, and I do remember seeing Kenny Rogers in concert here in um louisville and he had Dottie west with them and they sang all their duets that they you know that they used to do um and i just it this is a very dim memory because i was little but um going back to my mom she was the kind of person who uh if you were at a concert and you had bad seats you were going to try to sneak down closer <laughs> No matter what. And so um, concerts with my mom growing up was, was like a game of cat and mouse with the ushers. Like you would, she would go, well, nobody's using those. So let's just go down there. The worst they can do is tell us to move. And so that's what we would do. And um, so when we saw music, when I was little, we usually saw it from great seats. Hmm. I mean, who's going to make a, like a, a woman with a little six-year-old wearing an Easter dress move back, you know?
1: Do you still do that today? Did that pass along to you? <laughs>
0: didn't out myself in that way, but I mean, yes, totally.
1: <laughs> um, when you were in high school, what was your style, or Like, where did you fit into the to the dynamic?
0: I could not figure that out when I was in high school, I don't think. Um, I sort of wish I had become a theater kid. Um, I do a lot of theater work now, like sound design work. Um, and I think those are probably my people. But in high school I didn't know that. Um, and And I just, uh, I played piano in high school. And I went to a high school that had like a performing arts component uh, along with the public school. And so I was in piano. I had piano class every day in school. Um, Hmm. I know, you would think I would be like this great piano player now, but (laughs) that's not the case. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I I think I was like a little... A little bit nerdy and a little bit, like, unsure where I fit in.
1: Hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up around that time?
0: If you'd asked me, I probably would have said, I probably would have said something in the entertainment industry.
1: Not piano? Were you you not like, I'm going to be the next, you know? Oh, no. No, I
0: was not a good piano student. I did not. I did not practice. I, I was like a chaotic teenager and so I just couldn't I couldn't keep up with it and there were people in my class who were like super dedicated and there were those kids whose parents were like super strict and like you're going to be practicing for an hour every night and you're going to get a scholarship and you're going to play in college and um that was just not me it was like a chaotic time for my family and and we just couldn't there's just no way to keep up
1: hmm do you have any high school dance memories
0: no, I, I was, to be frank, I was um the most likely to be cut in class and not going to the high school dances.
1: Understood. So. Okay. <laughs> um, How did you end up in radio? I kind of read up on you and it sounds like you took a similar path that I did in terms of finding radio in a non-traditional way.
0: Oh, well, I want to hear about your path. Um, But I'll tell you mine. It I was in a band with Uh, a guy who played bass and was an assistant on a public radio talk show and I was probably what was that like 23 um 22 maybe and this guy was leaving for the Peace Corps and I had done a little bit of college I, I was a high school dropout um and I went back and got my GED and was kind of like trying to make my way through some sort of educational journey, um, several years later than everybody else. And, um, so this guy was leaving for the Peace Corps and they needed somebody to be a talk show assistant. And I was like, that sounds really interesting. And it's like sort of adjacent to the stuff I'm interested in. So I came in and I met the producer and the host and he, his leave date kind of got bumped up and they were like, we need somebody right away. And I was like, here I am. And that was like 18 years ago. <laughs> and I've been here ever since.
1: And so that was there at that at, at, year. At, it was public media there in Louisville.
0: It sure was. It was in the very building that I'm talking to you from right now.
1: Did you know what NPR was then? Or was this something that was totally novel to you then?
0: Um, NPR to me was something that I first heard of as an adult. I was not the kid who like was in the back of the minivan hearing morning edition on the way to school it was just not but your, car,
1: your first car didn't have a radio so you couldn't
0: <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> so yeah it was kind of new to me I mean I was more familiar with public television of course because watching Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and all those all those classics um, and that's how I described it to people in my family who weren't familiar with public radio I was like it's like it's like PBS but on the radio
1: that's exactly how I describe it to people. Yeah. That is exactly. That is the only way you can say it in one sentence to people who are like, I've got no idea what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. But what about yours?
1: Oh, um, I, I, okay, let me think. Um, I graduated high school. I did poorly at college and I mean poorly. And then I went back to college uh, about nine years later when FGCU opened and I dropped out here a couple times. And then after a few fallouts. Um, my my mentor teacher said, hey, do you want to do an internship over at the NPR station? And I went, oh, that's what I'm going to do. Oh. Well, I just approached this internship as you're not going to let me leave. And that was 20 years ago. And I'm sitting in the same building that that started in too. So there.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. And it's, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Maybe a photographer for National Geographic. That was my other pipe dream. That oh, that. Okay. But I didn't know how to do it until Mm -hmm. somebody said, do you want to try an internship? So, yeah. And I think almost everybody here today was an intern. No, not Richard, but Tara. Say hi, Tara.
0: Hello. Hi, Tara. And
1: and Jared, the intern Gonzalez. Hello, that's me. Um, Yeah, we've, we've got a very robust internship program here that has made a lot of careers up for people. It's pretty cool.
0: I love that. And don't you love like then turning around and mentoring new people in that way? I, I do, as that. long
1: as they're not more work than the good I get out of.
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> Which enough. I'm
1: sure you can resonate with that, too. <laughs> yeah. what, was the, um, what was the band you were in, um, you know, when that happened? <laughs> you were in a band.
0: That band was called Shinola. Hmm. And our tagline was, you ain't heard till until so you've heard Shinola.
1: Well, there you go. What <laughs> kind of music did you all play?
0: We played, like, acoustic... Um, some world music some folk music it was like a folksy americana type of thing and then we did like cheesy acoustic covers of old stuff it was very eclectic i played accordion in that band huh so if that tells you anything
1: did you sing then or were you just accordion
0: i sang but there was another um another singer in that band so i sang like not as much as him and then i sang backups
1: understood did you stick with the band when you started working in radio i mean was that something you just kept doing on the side until it petered out or whatever
0: yeah i've always um i've always sort of had a a musical project in the in the works um but yeah we we had to replace our bass player of course because he went to the peace corps and then um we just kept on kept on trucking
1: hmm Um, Okay, Uh, we'll get more to your life and radio in a bit because I want to talk about the podcast Incubator and all that stuff, but let's do your second song now.
0: Okay, (laughs) okay. Um, I think we should listen to this one first.
1: Okay, I like it. This is Tramp, performed by (laughs) Otis Redding and Carla Thomas, uh, first released by them in 1967 on their album King and Queen. This is Laura Ellis' second song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. It's biography through music.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. Did you were you familiar with that song?
1: I was not. Isn't was it hilarious? Not, it is hilarious, yeah.
0: <laughs> she just tells him about himself the whole time. Um, that song has become an inside joke between me and my wife because um we're both from Kentucky and we have a long history of accusing each other of being country. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Louisville. She is from Versailles, Kentucky, and yes, that is how we say it in Kentucky, um, which is like smaller, much smaller and rural. And so like technically she is the countryest, but behaviorally I might be also comparatively country. Um, so we have like a longstanding running competition of whose country and like, um, you know, which one of us is a town mouse, which one of us is a country mouse? And so
1: Can't you we, both be country mouse? I
0: think we're probably but anybody from the outside looking in is gonna be like they're country I'm mice. I'm gonna say
1: relatively, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're
0: both they're both like cute little country mice. Um, and that's fair. That's probably true. But so we we basically have come to use the lyrics of this song as shorthand like insults <laughs> that we use on each other, uh, And all we have to say now is, you know what, Otis? (laughs) And that gets the whole message across.
1: (laughs) When was the last time either one of you did that?
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It couldn't have been too long ago. I mean, every birthday card on the front of the envelope, I'm going to be drawing a mouse that's with a speech bubble that says, you know what, Otis? It'll be a country (laughs) mouse.
1: (laughs) How did you first come across this song, or how did it become that for y'all?
0: Um, I heard this song early in our knowing of each other. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is about Jonice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send it to her.
1: <laughs> How was it received? It was
0: not received well. <laughs> but we both love it now. I mean, I'd never heard the song either. Um, and I was doing stupid stuff like for Secret Santa. I think one year I had a a book that was like uh, – a story of a country girl and I and I wrote on the cover like by Joni Franklin. E. Um, you know, stupid stuff like that. And so when this song came along, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just full of so much gold. I mean the thing she says about him, you don't wear continental clothes. I mean that's like an that's like an amazing an amazing insult. I love that. And you need a haircut, tramp. And I just love the way she's like, Tramp Otis <laughs> <laughs>
1: you guys should do it at karaoke
0: oh my gosh oh i miss karaoke so much i haven't done karaoke since before the pandemic but i was like oh this is how much i love karaoke my best friend selena and i have a karaoke adventure club like a club that went around and did karaoke at different places
1: are you two the only members (laughs)
0: fair question (laughs) fair question but no we are not and after we would meet quarterly and we would like descend on some unsuspecting dive bar with like 20 30 people who were there to do karaoke and take names and then afterwards we would give out awards for like pack the dance floor award you know best choreography best background vocals best song choice it was a whole thing it was like a huge thing i miss it so much
1: um, I am three quarters of the way through editing uh, this week's radio version of the podcast, and I described it was a two guest episode, a husband and wife, and I described them as our karaokeist guests.
0: Yeah, I love it
1: because they're like they we they you know there's like 30 minutes of karaoke talk in it, and that leads up to their third song and their wedding and all this stuff. Aww. I don't know. They didn't give out awards and have a club. You may have (laughs) all of a sudden top karaokeist just like that.
0: You know what? You asked me um, when I've been interviewed before. I have been interviewed about the practice of karaoke. And I covered like how to select the right song for your voice, how to select the right song for the crowd and the type of night, you know, common karaoke mistakes, uh, the whole nine yards.
1: Okay. Karaoke is on, on the theme of the show lately. Okay. Um, Okay. So back to radio. Um, What roles did you fill along the way there um, before you wound up as director of podcasts and special projects?
0: Well, I've been here a long time, so I've done a lot of things. Um, The first several years were the assistant on the talk show um, where I did everything from like compiling research to one time I watched a guest's baby. While she was on the panel. Um, a little bit of everything. So, um, and then around 2012, I want to say, uh, we started our first podcast. And that was a podcast called Strange Fruit. And it was hosted by two gay people of color. And it talked about uh, race, gender, and LGBTQ issues. I always say, like, we were an early adopter of podcasting because this was before you know, serial came and changed the game. Um, and so we started, I started kind of leaning more into audio production, um, producing features, editing features, and kind of like helping the reporters and the news staff make things sound good, um, good audio practices and audio storytelling practices. And so I've basically worked on a lot of podcasts since then here. Um, We've done some investigative podcasts, uh, one of which won a Peabody Award. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've done some like kind of punching above our weight in terms of our size and what we can do with audio storytelling. Um, And I'm so proud of the work that we've done. And then 2020 happened. And it was like uh, not only the pandemic that we all went through, but we're in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the home of Breonna Taylor. So we had protests every night for, um, I want to say almost a year. It's, it's like fuzzy to look back on that time now because we just worked all the time. We just worked all the time. And so I was editing news, um, was editing like audio news, web news, monitoring live streams all the time, monitoring protests, live tweeting stuff. Um, it was just like an all hands on deck situation for quite a long time. Um, And coming out of that was like, okay, what what can we do that nobody else can do to try to be part of the solution um, here in our community? And that's kind of how the podcast incubator came to be.
1: Um, How long ago was that? So about two years ago then now?
0: Mm -hmm. We conceived of it in late 2020 and we launched it in early 2021.
1: Describe it for listeners who don't understand what you mean by podcast incubator.
0: Um, So our podcast incubator, we always say it is designed to shrink the opportunity gap in podcasting. So we solicit pitches from our community, particularly uh, shows by and for people of color or otherwise marginalized identities like LGBTQ immigrant and people who may not have always been historically represented in public media. And so what we do is we take pitches uh, once a year. And we select one and we basically help that person create that show from idea all the way through the end of their first season. And the folks who don't get chosen, um, we add them to I do a podcasting advice column where I kind of try to help folks who are making it on their own and connect them to other people and um, really trying to build like a little community of supportive folks who are all, you know, operating with a similar mission.
1: Hmm. Um, I was looking through some of the names of the po- uh, the podcasts that you've done. What's the Pope's Long Con?
0: So that was our Peabody show.
1: I was wondering. Yeah. Is that, that one sounded interesting. What, what was that all about?
0: Oh, gosh. This is getting like deep, deep, deep now. So that show um, was done by our investigative unit here, which is called the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting. And it was an investigation into... Um, a state representative named Dan Johnson, who sort of was uh, coming up around the same time as Donald Trump and was using a lot of similar, like, blustery rhetoric um, in his campaigns. And um, our investigative team got a tip, like, hey, you should well, you should look into this guy because there's a lot going on. And so they did. And they found um, just a lot of stuff in his background. uh there were accusations that he had burned down his own church for insurance money, and there were a lot of claims he was making about himself that, you know, were really unverifiable or could be verified to be false. Like, he said he was a 9-11 responder. He had made some pretty outlandish claims about, like, laying hands on sick people and dead people even. Um, and, and then there was a, a serious allegation of sexual abuse from a young girl who went to his church. So it was a really sort of disturbing investigative story, and we um, we were like, this is this could, this is like super important, and also, how are we going to tell this story? So we we did a like a serialized investigative podcast, and we launched it, um, and then he died by suicide like a few days after we launched. Um, yes, this is really heavy, really heavy stuff. And, you know, as you can imagine, the fallout from that was pretty intense. Um, it was intense for us, but it was also, you know, super intense for the, um, young woman who had accused him who had gone on the record with her name. Like she, she was really brave in my opinion to do so. And, um, now she was being blamed for everything that had happened. So it was a pretty traumatic uh, journalism moment. And it really changed the way that I will forever think about any sort of crime related, quote unquote, entertainment um, and podcasts and, you know, um, documentary style reporting. And um, yeah, it was just kind of a, a career changing or at least a, a transformative experience to go through.
1: I can imagine. And it does demonstrate sort of the scope of what you're working on up there. Um, In an effort to lighten this up, and I hope this does lighten it up, um, what was it all about being embedded 24-7 at the 2017 Kentucky State Fair?
0: (laughs) That definitely lightens it up.
1: Okay, good. I was afraid there was (sighs) like a disaster there or something. Oh my gosh,
0: no. (laughs) It was there (laughs)
1: because this horrible thing happened.
2: (laughs)
0: That was the year the fair burned to the ground. No, 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 no. Um, Okay, the Kentucky State Fair is my happy place. Always happy been. And um, I was doing a series at the time called Curious Louisville, uh, where we were taking listener questions about our community and answering them through reported, you know, audio pieces. And so I decided to um, do like an embedded series at the fair where I would take people's questions about the Kentucky State Fair. I lived out there for a week, um, 24-7 in a little RV, like right across from where the Carnies lived. <laughs>
1: You must have been in heaven.
0: <laughs> oh my God, I was in heaven. It's my favorite thing I've ever done. I loved it so much. I really want to do it again someday. It was great, and mm. I just and I just worked all day. I just went around asking, you know, the you know the people from the fair had approved me to be out there, and they were hooking me up with the sources that I needed. And I was walking around talking to people all day, and just oh, it was great. I loved it.
1: Um, tell us about Billy Goat Strut review.
0: Billy Goes Strip Review is a uh, a musical group that I was with from probably like 2013 until pandemic times, and we sang 20s, 30s, and 40s jazz and swing, with the whole like costumes and the whole feel and the whole like kind of vintage experience.
1: Um, it just so happens that I have a clip of you performing with them. Is oh my it okay gosh!
0: It? <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: Okay, this is uh, this is you on WFPK's live lunch, uh, <laughs> yeah, 2014. Um, yeah, I just pulled a little clip out of the middle. Of play this, Richard. <laughs>
0: oh, I like to be the lucky devil. Who gets to burn with you? Oh, I learned to live on that lower level with a big old box fan or two.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When was the last time you listened to yourself doing that? Oh
0: my gosh, it's been forever. The story of this band is that we started, and this clip really illustrates it, we started, and our our like origin was we were going to be the backing band for a burlesque troupe here in town, because nobody can... was doing burlesque to live music. Everybody was doing burlesque to, you know, recorded tracks. Um, and then, like, eventually we started getting booked as just a band, because like, for some reason, not everyone wanted burlesque dancers, you know, at their wedding receptions. <laughs> 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 so it took on a life of its own, but our origin was. So we were live entertainment behind a uh, burlesque troupe.
1: Uh, are you playing with any bands now?
0: Uh, I tried to get something off the ground in December of 2019, and you can imagine what happened. Yeah, um, it was bad. It was not a good time to launch a new project. So right now, I'm just kind of doing pickup gigs with people that I love to play with, and it's kind of awesome because I'm not worried about like I'm not worried about booking. I'm not worried about like the tedious stuff that comes along with you know scheduling and making sure everybody knows where to go and making sure there's been publicity and making sure the contracts are in I'm just kind of doing pickup work and I'm only taking work with people that I really love to make music with and it's it's pretty nice
1: it's like you're a fiddle you can I'm a
0: fiddle I just fiddle in and out I like I like to think of it as like I'm in the stage of my singing career where I do appearances (laughs) i like, I'll make an appearance at your Christmas party. I'm going to sing a bunch of Christmas songs, which I would be loving to sing at home anyway. So, yes.
1: Are you still doing theater? I know you've done theater throughout your life.
0: I'm doing a lot of theater. I I do a lot of sound design work. Um, I do all the sound design for our local Shakespeare Festival, which is the oldest continuously running uh, Free Shakespeare in the Park Festival in the country. So um, they do like a three... A three big show season in the summer and then they do indoor stuff during the winter so I do a lot of that and then um, I'm the resident sound designer for our local LGBTQ theater company Um, do a little bit of children's theater I just I love sound design and it, it really like relates to my day job work because it's so often about finding the exact right piece of sound or the exact right piece of music and the exact right timing to have the biggest impact in the storytelling
1: Um, Before we get to your third song, uh, who is the most famous musician or performer you've ever met? Ooh. I feel like you have, at this point, met somebody who people know, working in radio and music and theater.
0: Oh, gosh. I have to think about that. You know, I don't know, because I'm really not – I'm not a person who – I'm sure you've experienced this too at your radio station where like somebody might be coming through town and they might stop in and do like an in-studio performance or something. I'm just never been a person who's been like, Oh, Hey, I wanted to come in and say hi. Um, so there's been people that I've been in proximity with, but never there you
1: go. That'll work. Proximity too.
0: Okay. Proximity to. I said that now I can't think of anybody for that either. I will say, and this isn't like super famous um people but it was really cool for us when i was with billy goat start review we got to do like a little opening set for the preservation hall jazz band from new orleans and Mm. we were so geeked about that (laughs) we were like this is prez hall y'all this is amazing and
1: if you could perform with anyone out there alive or dead uh you know as a human singing fiddle what, what would it be
0: Good Lord, what a question. Because <laughs> um, I want to say all these great singers, but then I'm like, why would they need me? They've got themselves. Um, Gosh, maybe somebody like Louis Armstrong. Maybe like mm. an instrumentalist. Um, maybe Stevie Wonder. Mm. Like one, one of my favorite singers is Ella Fitzgerald. But again, that's a question of like, she doesn't need anybody else. Um, But I would just, like, stand near her and play the tambourine or something and be totally happy.
1: You could play the accordion. (laughs) That would fit right in with her music.
0: (laughs) Right. For all her famous polka numbers.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay, well, let's do your third song now, which is one that you've sent to us. So I'm looking forward to the story. How would you like to proceed?
0: Okay, I'm going to tell the story first. And this gets a little heavy again. Um, uh, So this recording that I sent you all is from the day that the Pulse nightclub shooting happened in Orlando. And at the time I was working on that podcast I mentioned earlier, Strange Fruit. And so we were sort of really immersed in our community. Um, And when that news started breaking in the morning, it was just like shock. And it was, this is a function of like My privilege in this country, that it was the first time I can remember experiencing, like hearing about people who were killed because they were like me. Um, And so, how do you grapple with that? I mean, again, that's a privilege to have not experienced that before because I'm white. But to hear that a whole group of people were targeted um, in a space that for queer people is is akin to church, right? It's akin to a sacred space. It's like historically been one of the few places that it's been safe to be yourself and to be affectionate to the people you love and to um, express your gender the way that you feel most comfortable. And so just to have that violated, it was a lot to grapple with. And so um, some of our local LGBTQ leaders, really quickly put together a vigil on this walking bridge that we have um, across the Ohio River. And we live, so Louisville is across the river from a couple of smaller cities in Indiana. Um, And their LGBTQ groups were newer because they're smaller over there. Um, And they put together a vigil and we all marched from our opposite sides Um, You know, holding candles. Everyone was crying. I mean, it was just, it was just like a a moment. It felt momentous. Um, And we got to the middle of this bridge. And we met up with their group from the other side. And we stopped. And there's um, an LGBTQ singing group called Voices of Kentuckiana that were in the middle. And they started to sing the song. And it's just, wow. It's one of those moments in my life I will never, ever, ever forget. That's what this tape is.
1: Well, let's listen to it. Um, this is "We Shall Overcome." This is Laura Ellis's final song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. We
2: shall overcome
0: someday. We shall overcome. I just. it's powerful and it just to me really speaks to the power that voices have together the power of like solidarity and the moments that we get to in our lives like as people or as communities where there's there's a powerlessness and how we use our voices to reclaim some power and to feel uplifted when things feel pretty dire. And I wish I could say that this is like distant memories and, you know, in the distant past, but recent events have really brought it back, I think, into the minds of a lot of, of queer people because of the Colorado Springs shooting. Um, so just to, just to see these spaces and people targeted, um, again, because they're like me. So I think the tape that we hear is like a way of showing the power in music, the power in song, and the power in togetherness and community.
1: And the power in collecting audio and then sharing it with other people.
0: Mm, I'm so glad that I got that. I Were wasn't I wasn't there working. I wasn't okay. there taping. I didn't have a kit. Um, I was there as a member of the community. And, you know, I was basically there to cry and mourn. Um, and um, I just pulled out my phone when that happened.
1: Well, let's lighten it up again.
0: Okay. This has been a roller coaster of emotions.
1: That's great. We love roller coasters. <laughs> um, did you get to go see Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me when they came to Louisville back in November?
0: I didn't. No, I didn't. I met some of the folks um, here in the hallways randomly, but I didn't get to go see the performance. Why? I'm pretty sure I had <laughs> I a sound design thing going on that night.
1: No, uh, you were obliged otherwise?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, man. I'm trying to remember uh,
0: when that was. I did a really intense sound design project in October where we did like a whole play in silent disco headphones and was like an immersive version oh, of Hamlet. I- it was really labor intensive and it might have coincided with that.
1: It was November 17th.
0: Okay, so then I don't know what my excuse was. <laughs> But I did meet up with some of their producers in the hallway and I randomly had a stray dog with me. It was a whole like it was a whole thing.
1: I heard, uh, you know, in the intervening time since we started working on getting you on the show, I heard them end one of their episodes and be like, join us next week. We're going to be in Louisville. And I sent myself a message. I'm like, ask Laura when you finally talk to her.
0: (laughs) No, I didn't get to go. It was right next to our station. chief. It's ridiculous.
1: I assume you guys are all like part of it, sort of. I mean, you help at least. Facilitate. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, they um The folks here, you know, help them come to town and do like members, member yeah, events and stuff.
1: I, I get all that. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Ready for a speed round?
0: Oh, okay. Yes.
1: Do you have a nickname that's stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? I don't. When was the last time you bought music that had physical form?
0: Uh, about three weeks ago at a peddler's mall. What was it? It was an Al Jarreau record, okay. it was not as good as I was hoping it was going to be. But it's if you cute. were, a,
1: if, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come in on?
0: Oh man, <laughs> um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go untraditional and say Dolly Parton's "Here You Come Again."
1: I like it. What's your wrestler name?
0: The Country Mouse.
1: The Country Mouse. <laughs> If you were a cocktail drink of some kind that was distilled essence of you, what would it be?
0: It would be a cocktail drink. Okay, let's see. Well, I mean, I'm going to have to say largely bourbon because this is Kentucky, and it would definitely be on the rocks.
1: Okay, that that'll work. Any particular kind of uh, bourbon, or is that too hard to uh, too hard too hard of a call to make?
0: That's too controversial for me to say publicly. I don't actually drink anymore. I did have a favorite bourbon when I drank, but you can't go around saying stuff like that around here.
1: Is it heretical to mix a bunch of bourbons?
0: Yes. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> but that might be that might have to be your drink since you won't commit to one.
0: <laughs> oh god. This is terrible. Don't mix a bunch of bourbons.
1: A bunch of bourbons with one like like 3% tequila mixed in just to throw people. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have a new question I'm going to try out. You ready? Okay. What interests or activities make you lose track of time the most?
0: Probably audio mixing. If I get into a mix and I'm like super, uh, super into it, I know this is like nerdy as hell, but if I'm like super into a mix, I... I have no idea like what time it is, how long I've been working on it. I'm probably singing and I don't realize it. I'm probably like tapping my foot and spinning around my chair. It's just like very immersive to me.
1: I think Mike has seen me do all of those things while editing the show. <laughs> yeah, and I don't do a lot of multi-track layering stuff, but I do a lot of long edits. So I can definitely
0: Oh make- man. Oh man. <laughs> if I'm like in a montage and it's like real tedious, I'm in it. I'm in it.
1: Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time.
0: Oh, what a great question. I wish I could hear Don't You Worry About a Thing by Stevie Wonder.
1: Okay. Album you wish you can hear again for the first time?
0: Um, this might already this might also be a Stevie answer, but since I already said that, I'm gonna say rumors.
1: That's Fleetwood Mac, right? Yeah. Any songs you'll avoid listening to, mostly because of memory association reasons?
0: Uh, yeah, I have, yeah, but when you work with music and sound, you know, like, it is part of you in a way that I don't know, like, casual listeners of music get, or maybe everybody gets this, um, but, like, I spend so much of my work, my day job, my night job, all my jobs, immersed in, like, how music makes you feel, and connections between music and emotions. So. There are songs, um, I had a playlist when my mom was very sick, and we, we played it in her hospice room. And uh, I probably couldn't listen to most of those songs, even though they're some of my favorite songs. It's just, I would I would take those songs out on purpose and only intentionally. I would never just incidentally listen to them.
1: Um, here's this question that that you have a unique perspective on because you are in broadcasting, like we are. You know, this is fictional, of course. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet, all in one collective moment, which song would you do?
0: Oh my gosh! Oh, there's that's too much power for me. Would it be? It would be Jim Croce. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> Everybody would get in their car.
0: <laughs> Everyone gets in their car, and it's like a zombie Half of apocalypse would, movie. Go to
1: bed and get in their car. <laughs>
0: why are we doing this where are we going we feel compelled to take a road trip is
1: that your final answer I'm gonna, kinda, yeah
0: couldn't... you know i'm gonna go with it
1: okay what the heck uh, um album you would choose if you can only ever have that one album for the rest of your life
0: i know i think that would be inner visions Stevie wonder
1: all right what would your 14 year old self think of who you are today
0: Um, my 14 year old self, I think would be pretty impressed. I think, um, she had a lot of, of learning about herself to do. And, um, I think she would be gratified that that learning took place and that, um, we're now living an authentic life and, um, we have a cool job. And we have lots of cute dogs and a great wife and satisfying work.
1: Cheers to all that. Amen. Um, okay, it is time for you to recommend your three people that you will share this with in our marketing strategy.
0: That
1: we, <laughs> that we can then maybe get on the show.
0: Okay. Okay, I'm first going to recommend Kentucky banjo legend, Steve Cooley. Steve Cooley, I, I don't know if he'll if he will do this but if he will he's a great storyteller and he's played with i mean people like bill monroe and hazel dickens like he's he's been a he's been a dude in the room with a lot of people and he tells a great story so i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend him first he's one of those guys who you're sitting around at rehearsal and you're looking forward to the breaks because you know he's gonna start telling stories and you know they're gonna be great
1: that sounds perfect
0: and my second one um, is a guy called Gabe Bullard. He used to work here at LPM many, many moons ago. And now he works on Here and Now, the, the talk show. And he also does a newsletter called Number One with a Bullard, which is a great name. And it's all about, like, nostalgia and, like, the effects of mass nostalgia and, um, he does a lot of cool like he recently had an issue about cover songs, and he kind of went on this hero quest to figure out what is the longest time interval between the original song and the cover song. Hmm. which I feel I'm like, this is exactly the kind of rabbit hole that I like to go down.
1: Oh, he sounds like he'd be great, and if he's working on here and now, he can probably do it remotely fairly straightforwardly, yeah. so he would I'm be def- he mugging- would be great.
0: he would be. And then my third um, choice is a new friend that I recently met at a pointer Institute training. And her name is Ayana Contreras. And she's the content director of Vocalo at WBEZ in Chicago. And she has like a massive um, vinyl collection of old soul. And she's, she like writes a lot about old soul. Um, and she does a show on Vocalo called reclaimed soul. And like, Like I said, I haven't known her for very long, but she's the person that I would most want to be like, what do you listen to while you cook? What do you listen to in the morning? Like, what do you listen to when you're sad? I just, you know how you meet some people and you're like, wow, I I really want to like get inside their musical taste brain. That's her.
1: That sounds great. And I'm gonna ask you one more new question. What kind of music do you listen to while you cook?
0: (laughs) It depends on what I'm cooking. Okay, I have like, I have a I have a playlist that is um vintage uh, Mexican music that I listen to if I'm cooking that cuisine. You know, I think it depends on your cuisine. I'm going to be listening to some Connie Francis and Dean Martin if I'm making Italian. Um, You know, you got to... It's got to be sound design, man. I was just about to say, you're
1: definitely a sound designer. (laughs) Um, Okay, Laura, well, you've done it. Would you like to leave us with any final thoughts? We really appreciate your time.
0: This has been so much fun, and I just really appreciated the chance to sit down and re-listen to these things and think about them.
1: We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer and host. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Chris Duffis is our executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're going back a year to episode number 202 guest, Maria Pia Mallur. She's senior textile designer for White House Black Market and her artwork has been showcased in galleries all over Italy and America. For her first song story Maria Pia took us back to her first visit to Southwest Florida and to the United States when she went out dancing and suddenly recognized a song that came on from her time in Italy and so started joyously singing along not knowing what it was she was singing.
2: And so we go to dance, and all of a sudden, I recognize this song that was playing in Italy. Imagine me in the middle of the floor, the dance floor, not knowing the language at all. Right. Singing with the hands on, (laughs) like, and like screaming. I don't want a short man. So... I was, like, so happy I could say something in English, right? <laughs> oh, beautiful. I, I know this. I know this. I recognize this. And so I start singing like that. My friend comes. So, Maria Pia, do you know what you're saying? I said, no. And then he told me. And I was so embarrassed. I said, I cannot believe. Because, I mean, coming from Italy, you know, the right. Pope is there. He is. Doubt was not something that really could go easily if it wasn't, you know. Not with the Pope. No, not, not with the Pope.
1: Keep listening.